God has not only just gifted you for your, uh, with gifts that are meant for the good of the church, but he also calls us to sacrifice for the good of others in the community. So we're called to sacrifice of our preferences and our, our, our uh, desires for the good of other people. We're to, as Paul puts it, we're to consider others more highly than we do ourselves. We're to value others more than we do ourselves. So now Paul turns in chapter 13 to another way that we sacrifice. A way that we Americans probably don't like all that much. We sacrifice to our government, to our nation. And so this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through uh, seven, uh, one through seven, as we consider how we are to live as sacrifices towards our nation or towards our government authorities. Now, like I said, to be honest, this this passage often hits Americans pretty hard. By our very nature, we are an independent people, right? I mean, we all we like our freedoms. We, we believe that we are autonomous and we, we have authority in and of ourselves. And we don't, I mean, really, I don't think we think much of the government. We don't think much of the good that government can do. But, and even more so, we've been taught since civics class in the seventh grade that government gains its authority from the will of the governed. So any decision, any discussion of the authority of the government beyond that is going to be pretty hard for us to swallow. So because of that, many American Christians try to rationalize this passage. We try to, you know, try to make it fit into our understanding of government, or we want to pick and choose from the Bible verses that might endorse our form of government or our political uh, leanings while condemning others. But Americans need to understand a passage like this. Christians should be model citizens. Christians should be an example of obedience and submission to authority because we want to submit to the true authority over all things, and that being God himself. We, as Christians, should value order and justice. We should show due respect to authority. So what is the relationship of the Christian to his or her government? So let's read the passage together and see what Paul has to say about this. And then I'm going to get into three questions that Paul answers as the three points to my sermon this morning. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1, God's word says, let every person be, su be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath 
on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So there are three questions that I feel like Paul answers about our relationship as Christians to our government. First, he's going to answer the question, from where does government get its authority? Second, what authority does government have? And third, what duties does the Christian have to his or her government? So first, from where does government get its authority? We find that answer in verses 1 and 2. Put very simply, Paul says, There is no authority except for God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So there are a couple of things that we need to understand about this idea of authority, because what the Bible means by authority is a little different from the way that we, in our modern age, understand authority. The word authority that we have translated as authority here is the Greek word exousia, which literally means consisting of one's own being. It's the idea of being free to have authority or choice over a certain area or a dominion. So the idea of, or the biblical idea of authority is the idea of absolute dominion, that God puts people or beings over a certain territory or dominion, and they have full authority to do as he has commanded over that uh, that region or that area. So just for example, we, I remember last the last time I preached, I preached on Genesis chapter 1 and how God created man, male and female, and he created them to have what? He had to have dominion, right? And the reason I preach that to prepare us for this passage is because we need to understand that mankind was created to reign. He was created to reign over God's creation. So in this idea, this biblical idea of authority, mankind has authority over God's creation. When God grants authority to someone over a certain part of creation or over a certain uh, um, uh, area or dominion, they have full authority over it. And not only that, we need to understand that God grants authority over different aspects of this world. So this is what theologians call sphere sovereignty, or the idea that there are different spheres of influence or authority And different beings or different people have authority in those areas. So God grants authority to angels and demons, right? I mean, we've read stories like Daniel chapter 10, where it says that the angel that was taking the message to Daniel had to pass through the territory of the prince of Persia. Now, this prince of Persia is a demon that has been given authority over the land of Persia. 
Satan himself is also given as an example of one who has authority over this fallen world. So in John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus says that Satan is the ruler, same root word as uh, exousia, um, the ruler of this world. Husbands are given authority over the household. Parents are given authority over their children. And here we find that God has given authority to governments over a nation or a group of people. This authority comes from God. And so Paul says in verse 2, those who resist the authority of government are resisting God. It's the same. It's equated. It's the same thing. To resist the authority of government is to resist God himself. Second, we need to ask, what authority has God given to government? So Paul answers that question in verses 3 and 4. And again, it's very simple. God has given to government, has established government to bring justice and to punish evil. So we find this all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Remember, it says in Genesis chapter 9 that after uh, Noah had offered a sacrifice to God, it says that God smelled the sweet aroma and he promised that he would never judge men with a flood again. But then he makes this covenant and he makes this command. He tells Noah, if a man sheds blood, by man shall his blood be shed. God gives this law to Noah in answer to the terrible violence that had been given, had risen before the flood. So to constrain evil, God gave the authority to man to govern other men and to exact punishment for evil that is carried out in our world. So finally, we need to ask, what duties does the Christian have to his or her Government. And we find that answer in verses 5 through 7. Paul says that we are to be in subjection. So the word there that is used for subjection is also used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, where Paul says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, we know from that passage, we've studied that several times. Some of you women have fussed about the fact that we've studied that several times. But we've studied Ephesians several times, and we've seen that that idea of submission is not subjugation. It's not the idea of saying you, you have to, you are coerced to, you are forced to. But it's the idea of willful obedience. That you, as a wife or as a, a man in, or woman in subjection to a government, you willfully choose to submit to that authority out of obedience, not to the authority first, but to God. That in submitting, you are, in a way, worshiping God by submitting to that authority. And so Paul says that we are to submit to government authority out of an act of willful obedience, out of subjection to that authority. And you can tell that because notice that he says that we should be subject for the sake of conscience. He doesn't say we should be subject out of fear of judgment or out of, ob uh, out of some sense of coercion. 
We should be subject because we feel convicted to do so. We feel a need to be obedient because we want to be obedient to God. We should be obedient to government authorities because we want to do what is right and to serve our fellow man. Right. Now, let me, let me say this. I, I, I know um, anybody that knows me well will accuse me of being a rule follower. My wife would probably be the first to say that I'm a rule follower. I, I am a rule follower to a fault. I, I'll just give you an example of how bad of a rule follower I am. You know those rope lines that you have like at a coffee shop or at the airport or whatever? Uh, in fact, this week, Lee and I are going to be traveling, and I, I guarantee you this will happen. You have this rope line that winds in and out and all the way up to the front desk. And there can be nobody in line. And I will make that person at the front desk wait for three minutes while I weave in and out of that rope line. Because it's a rule, and I'm going to follow it. Now, Leah, she'll go under all of them and get up there three minutes before I do. But I, I want to follow the rule. I also want to make that person at the front desk suffer a little bit so, because they didn't come and take the ropes down and they're waiting on me to get there. But in any case, I follow rules. And I know sometimes rules are there more as guidance, more as crowd control, and they're not needed like with those rope lines. They're not needed when there's nobody in line. And so even though the ropes are up, you can still you can go through. Nobody's going to come along and arrest you for going through a rope line, right? But when it comes to government, when it comes to the law of the land, as Christians, we should be glad rule followers. Because when we submit to government, we're not doing it because we're just naturally that way. And we're not doing it because we believe in the government as government, but because we believe that God has given the authority and we're submitting to God by submitting to that authority. So Paul gives two specific duties that we as Christians have to our government. First, in verse 6, he says that we are to pay taxes. Now, I know that hurts a little bit. And as my dad says, if you have your black highlighter and you don't like that passage, you can take and highlight over that verse. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, it hurts a little bit. But understand the reason Paul is giving for this. He says that we should pay taxes because government authorities are ministers of God. Now, catch this. Paul compares government authority governors and senators and policemen and judges and all of those people, he compares them to the ministers that carry out work in a temple or to deacons in the church. It's the same word there when it says ministers of God. He compares them to religious workers, to religious administ administrators. They are doing God's work. And what are they doing? They're constraining evil. They're keeping things from getting as bad as they could be. And now we have that played out on the news every day right now, right? Because of the pressure on police and on justice and on all of that, because of the focus on social concerns and things like that, you see in some cities where they've pulled away, they've defunded the police, they've done things like that. 
that crime has skyrocketed. It skyrocketed, I think, 69% in New York in the last two years. And so you see that where a lack of enforcement, a lack of justice is present, evil is unconstrained and it runs amok. And so the law enforcement and justice uh, and, and senators and all of those people are there to constrain evil. That's the purpose that they have. And, and God uses them for that. So if that's the purpose of government, then we should be willing and ready to fund them because that is what we want to happen in this world. Second, in verse 7, Paul says that we have a duty to show them honor and respect. Now, the word respect literally means to fear or, uh, or terror. In other words, we should not treat police, policemen or judges like just any other man. We should also, we should be fearful of their authority. And honor, the word honor means to rightly value someone. So we should rightly value their positions and their responsibility. So in the time I have left, I want to answer two important questions that Paul doesn't answer in this passage, and it kind of lingers here, and we need to answer those two questions. First of all, how do we do these things in a modern democratic republic? I think there are three basic ways that we can be living sacrifices as citizens of this country. One, we can show our leaders due respect because we recognize that even though we elect them, their authority comes from God first. Now, it's become popular in our day when the guy that we didn't want to get elected is elected to say something like, well, that's not my president. But it, uh, even though that's become popular and even though we didn't elect them, we need to recognize that even though we didn't vote for them, they are still appointed by God to do the work that they have to do. Now, uh, you, to help with this, just think about this. Paul is writing this passage during the height of the reign of Emperor Nero. Now, if you've never heard about Nero, you must have been living under a rock because Nero was never elected to his office. He was a dictator as bad as any dictator has ever been. He persecuted Christians to the point that he basically soaked them in oil, impaled them on a stake, and lit them on fire so that they would serve as lampposts for his uh, parties and soirees that he hosted. And he was uh, later would accuse the Christians of setting Rome on fire, even though most historians believe he's actually the one that set it on fire and then used the Christians as a scapegoat for the sake of a desire to renovate the, the town. So he did all this, and he was such a terrible ruler, and yet Paul commands believers to show him due respect, note this, as a minister of God. So Christians in America should do the same, even if the guy we didn't vote for is the one who is now in that position of authority. Second, we should pray for our leaders. 
regardless of who they are. Paul, in fact, commands this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And by pray, I don't mean that we should pray for his demise. Okay? I mean we should pray for their salvation. We should pray for wisdom. We should pray for them to have a change of heart where they're wrong, for sure. But we should also pray for our own understanding and our own, even our own willingness to compromise where it's possible. Thirdly, we should support good government with our money and our time. Now look, I'm a conservative, I'm a business owner, and I don't like to pay any more taxes than I have to. But we have become so tax-averse in our country that in many cases, government can't do the most basic things, the most God-given reasons for them to exist that they, can, they should be doing. Just ask Ms. Kay. We can't fund, a, get this now, get the irony of this. In this county right here, we can't fund a strong police force in this conservative county that rails against the defund the police movement because we don't want to pay one, uh, a half a percent more in sales tax. There are basic God-ordained responsibilities that government should provide. And we should be ready and willing to support that. Finally, the last question that we have to ask is, so does this mean that I should obey government even when that government commands me to do something evil? Now, this seems like a hard question, but it actually is a very simple question to ask. And the answer is, I mean, to answer, the answer is absolutely not. I can say that because there's one authority that I haven't talked about yet. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says that Jesus is above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So that means that Jesus is our final and ultimate authority. We are submissive to these lesser authorities because in reality... We are submissive to Jesus first. And so, if these lesser authorities command us to do something that is contrary to the authority of Christ, then we have every right to disobey them so that we might remain obedient to Christ. Just, th- just think about the lives of the apostles. The apostles themselves are a perfect example of that. In Acts chapter 4, the Jewish authorities commanded Peter and John to stop preaching the gospel. And they responded by saying this, We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, don't play seven degrees of separation here and say, Well, you know, if I do this, if the government commands me to do this, then that means that that'll lead to this, then that means that I'll lead to this, and that means that I'll lead to this, and that means I'll have to disobey God, so I can't do it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is if they are commanding you with a direct command to do something that God forbids, then you have authority under Jesus Christ to refuse to do it. If they're commanding you not to preach the gospel, if they're commanding you to carry out an evil act for the sake of the government, if they're commanding you to do things directly that contradict the word of God, then we have a right and a duty to refuse it. But we must live with that same boldness that the, that the apostles lived with. 
both in our willingness to obey government and in our willingness to face persecution when the government contradicts Christ. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we should live peaceable lives in hopes that when we have a peaceful nation, an orderly nation, we have a seedbed for the gospel. When we live at peace with all men, then we have a seedbed for the gospel to go forth, to grow in this community and in this nation, and then to send out missionaries throughout all the rest of the world. And that's exactly what we have enjoyed in this nation for some 200 or so years, as we have, uh, have had the influence of Christianity that has led to morality and good governance and all of that that has fostered freedom of religion and freedom of, uh, of uh, assembly and all of those things from which we have been able to send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we should pray for our country. We should pray for our leaders because we want that. We want a peaceful place where men and women can grow up free to worship and to assemble. And in that, God's church can flourish and we can go forth to the uttermost parts of the earth. So may we leave this place ready to live as sacrifices in our civil obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, the authority of government, even though so often... We see the bad things that happen as a result of too much power and too much authority, and we don't want that. But yet we know that we are called to be obedient, and we are called to submit where we are able in obedience to you. Father, I pray that we would do that as we leave this place, as we worship through our obedience to our civil authorities. Father, I pray that you would bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.